You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 101, Deep Purple, Perfect Strangers, Part 2. And coming to you from the fully vaccinated suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Parfait on Canoe Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Bartokumus Matola. <laughs> so I think we've pretty much just accepted that you are Balky and I'm Larry. I think there was some there was some confusion about it last week, but we've settled into our roles. Well, I for one know there's somebody out there that's really pissed that I got stuck with Balky. Someone's upset that you got stuck with Balky? Yes. Who's that? Rich. <laughs> Why is he upset that you're Balky? <laughs> I don't know. He's um he he texted me earlier and he's just like first Nate gets all the records and now we you get stuck with Balky. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> well, you're more you're probably more more temp- temperament wise more of a Larry, but you think so? You know what? I haven't seen the show in a while. Like I was thinking about it earlier. I'm like by now I probably should have looked up a couple of episodes on YouTube because I don't even remember like any of like the dynamic of the show or anything. But I mean I'm just guessing that I would be. Like a goofball like Balky, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> well, I think it's, yeah, well, I mean, he was partially a goofball, partially. It was an interesting thing because back in the 80s, it was like perfectly acceptable to be like, ha ha, that guy's foreign and he doesn't know things about this country. Ha ha. And, but the interesting thing about that is they made up, uh, they made up a nationality. So it wasn't even like, you can't look back at it and be like, oh, it's so inappropriate how they treated the, people of Mepos, it's not even a real place. So you can kind of yeah, like you almost you can, get away with it. Uh, maybe almost, but I, I feel like somebody could dig in and just be like, well, and look at that. It's acceptable to just laugh at somebody and make them a brunt of a joke with somebody from another country. Yeah. Like it doesn't even have to be real. They can just look, look at it like any, that could be any foreigner, you know, and it's like in, in the United States, how dare they? <laughs> Yeah, but I, I feel like there's not as much ground to stand on. But yeah, you're right. But that was the that was the yeah. that major energy in the 80s was just like, ha ha, that person uh, has an accent or can't speak English 100 percent or whatever. And um, that was just kind of like the punchline for a lot of stuff. And when you look back at it now, it's like, you know, all the um, obviously kind of inappropriate stuff aside, you're also just like, that's kind of lazy. Just like making fun of somebody because, you know, you could just as easily take an American and throw them in you know spin a spin a wheel any country in the in the world and they're gonna you know fall on their face too as anyone would if they don't know the language but hey we're not we're not here to talk about all these crazy social issues we don't want to we don't want to gen uh, generate any um hate hatred or or violence towards the people of mepos uh they're they're (laughs) peace-loving wonderful people um we we're just we're here to talk about um deep purple and Perfect Strangers, the Deep Purple version. Um, 
before we get into it. So last week, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you probably should start there. It's part one. We cover the whole history of going into the album, the reformation, and then the first side of the album. And we're going to kind of pick it up when we get through our opening here. We're going to pick up um, on side two and spin those songs and and close with some reviews and things like that. But um, before we do that, we just want to talk about some ways you can support the show. First of all, you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And hey, you know what? We do have one coming in this week. Um, um, oh no, I'm sorry. This is an old one. This one, when we, we're, this one's we're we're picking Canada as the country this year. Uh, there were no reviews from uh-huh. Mepos, so we're going to the next best best thing, which is Canada. <laughs> Um, this week's review, five stars from Kobaya2112. Must be a Rush fan. Uh, this was from 2019, June of 2019, so it's an, an old one. Uh, the title, A Great Purple Cast. Uh, always cool to hear other fans talking about a band you like. Great podcast with some good research and cool info. Don't miss it if you're a fan of Deep Purple and its extended family. So thank you, Kobaya. Hopefully, again, hopefully you're listening. It's like been almost two years since this review was written. Um, I'm, I'm just like secretly thinking like all these people are just really offended. Everyone, everyone from every other country is just like those jerks never read my review and stopped listening in, in anger. We lost all these great listeners, but hopefully you're still listening. Kobaya. Well, maybe they'll come back. Yeah, and, and you know, if back. I if if we read your review late like this, let us know. We're trying to get caught up on all of those reviews. So one way to support the show is write us a five-star review, no matter what country you're from. Um, if you're not from America, we're going to have to kind of type in country codes and and, and stumble upon it. But if you write one, um, shoot us an email and, and tell us you wrote one because it's we would need to know, know exactly what country you're from to be able to find it because of the silly way that um, Apple does this. Uh, you can also buy merch at our Etsy store. Meepos would be M M P M Y. I don't even know how to spell Meepos. Why don't you look that up while I go through the rest of this? So um, merch on our Etsy store just sold uh, a couple more T-shirts uh, today, actually. Um, so we're, we're still moving moving shirts, and we've got mugs left as well. So check it out. Um, and then lastly, you could become a patron on Patreon or donate on PayPal for as little as one dollar a month. You can help support the show if you receive any sort of. Uh, uh, value from what we do from listening to the podcast from following the social media feeds all that sort of stuff and you just want to help support us and make sure that we're, we continue to be around then just drop us as little as one dollar we'd really appreciate it and uh speaking of patrons hey we've Hi-o! got a new patron this week this is the legendary coming in at the five dollar money lender tier the legendary kev roberts who we've been communicating with for uh, forever, it seems like uh, mostly. I think I think mostly on Twitter. Kev is. Um, Kev says, "Congrats on the hundred <clears throat> shows in honor of this landmark. I finally dipped my hand into my pocket and subscribed, which I've been meaning to do for ages. Loved the SBTE episode. Straight between the eyes. Um, other highlights for me are Rising episode and Who Do We Think We Are. Look forward to many more. So thank you very much, Kev. We really appreciate yes. it. And I like that you know finally dipped into my pockets thing because I know." For me, sometimes like the bear, it's not even the, it's not the money. It's just like, oh, I, you know, you're driving when you hear it. And you, oh yeah, when I get, yeah, when I stop, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then you forget, you get caught up. So um, we really appreciate uh, not only the money, but the fact that you took the time to, to, to do it. So thank you so much to everybody who does that. 
And then um, we divide up our patrons. So in this first segment here, we thank our executive level patrons at the $20 Shades of Deep Pockets tier. We have Ryan M. The $15 Highball Shooter tier. We have Alan, 18 Proud to Beg. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Clay Wambacher, and Mikkel Steen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net, Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, and Victor Campos. Thank you so much to all of you for all of your support of the show. All right, John, what, what details do you have on Meepos? All right, so Belki Bartakamos is a fictional character. It's from Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Bronson Pinchot yep. in the TV sitcom Perfect Strangers. He is from the fictional island of Mipos, M-Y-P-O-S, which is near Greece and based on Greek culture. Yeah, but then you see it in the show and he's like so, he's like uh herding sheep and things. I don't know. I mean Meepo I maybe you know Meepo sounds like it could be from Greece. Yeah, it definitely sounds Greek. Maybe it was like loosely based. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, I didn't think of it until it said that, but I always thought it was spelled M Y P O. Yeah, he uh, said S-O. um Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um um he um Returning uh, uh, after returning from a trip to Greece, um, he decided to base the character in the fictional island of Mipos on the people he encountered in the villages of Greece. All right. So there you go. And Pincho came up with the name Balki after his sister's dog that she named Balcony and ended up calling him Balki for short. Balcony? <laughs> yeah, that's weird on its own. Like who names their dog balcony? Like, like the you know a thing that you go out and stand balcony on. thing. Yeah, like don't cry for me, Argentina. Yeah, Sorry. that's always spelled. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> you know that thing that uh, what's his face stood on, um, Mussolini. Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old what's his face? <laughs> what's his face? <laughs> oh, good old Mussolini. <laughs> you know, you know who's it? You know, old who's it? You know. <laughs> oh, oh man, good stuff. Um, so yeah, so we we uh, before we go on, I do have to um, you know I did mention a beer last week, and I have to mention another beer this week. Um, this one, mm-hmm. as I open it up, is not quite. Got? There's a story behind it, and this is a beer that's called Bud <laughs> Wiser. And um, the reason that I'm opening that do up, tell. do tell. So on. Um, Last uh, Sunday, I got my second dose of the COVID shot. And then as soon as I got it, um, people started contacting me from out of the woodwork being like, oh, get ready. It's going to be a nightmare. And I was like, oh, no. So I spent like eight hours just being like, am I going to get really sick? And then, yep, I got really, really sick. And we canceled recording last week because um, I was just in bed, like comical, uh, cartoon like, like, like covers up like this, teeth chattering, just freezing like chills super high fever every everything you can imagine just absolutely horrible experience and then all of a sudden boop felt better but but the day that was was march 8th and march 8th is my cousin robbie's birthday who passed away oh god how long ago has it been now um i don't know 12 13 years now ago that he passed away and um <clears throat> used to go visit him he he had a they had a place in new hampshire and another place in maryland and um, 
he's a great guy and he loved Budweiser and Budweiser was his not when we were kids hanging out but um, when he got older he loved Budweiser so every year on his birthday I have I have a uh, a beer a Budweiser in his honor and it's the only time I drink Budweiser and um I was not going to uh, this is the first year in a long time that I didn't do it because I was just in bed dying <laughs> all day mm. just just shivering and chills and good, good and, reason. Yeah, I was like I was like maybe I was like maybe I could just open a Budweiser and take one sip. I was like no, I'm not even going to go there. So, um I, I figured maybe it would be even better to commemorate him on the show. He was um very in, in, instrumental in in uh getting me into kind of hard rock and metal. Um when I one of the times i went to visit him in new hampshire he had like he had just gotten the fat boys tape and i remember him playing that and like <laughs> i got this new tape and we, we just listened to this tape the whole whatever i don't know how long we were there maybe like a long weekend or something we'd just be like we w- went out to he was like right by a lake so we go out and we were fishing for uh crawdads in the lake and cooking them up and listening to the fat boys and just having the best time and then <laughs> a few years later, um, I went to go visit him. I think it was in Maryland that time. And I remember going up to his bedroom and he was just like, oh, yeah, I got this new tape, Metallica. And I'd never heard of Metallica. And this was right after um, Master of Puppets had come out. Um, and I, yeah, I don't think Injustice for All was out yet. And uh, he played it for me and just being like blown away, just like, what is this crazy, like evil, but like, like kind of like menacing like it was i just remember feeling like it's like am i supposed to be listening to this am i gonna get in trouble for listening to this even though there's nothing really like crazy on that album or anything um but uh yeah and that kind of really set me down a course of like getting into metallica and and then later on there you know the uh injustice for all album and megadeth and all that sort of stuff so um you know we talk a lot about that sort of stuff on the show so i thought it was worth uh worth bringing up and thanking him for i don't know when my entry point to metallica would have been if it hadn't been for that but you know he's a he was a two three years older than me so um so he kind of was ahead of the curve so to my cousin robbie i take this this drink of budweiser And you know what? I don't mind Budweiser. Um, Bud Light, I can uh, I can do without, but Budweiser's not bad. Anyway, that's my cousin Robbie. Yeah, I don't very, very much see anybody with a regular Budweiser. No, it doesn't really happen no. that much. It, like I, I don't classic. know what, what the sales yeah. are like, but yeah. Um, yeah, and I wonder I wonder if Robbie was... We never talked to Deep Purple. I wonder if he, what his awareness was of Deep Purple or... Um, but unfortunately, uh, he passed away way too young, so... Okay. Well, with that um, memory behind us um, and still at the front of mind, we're uh, into side two here. Should we? Uh, and it feels it just feels so weird to be getting into the songs right away like this, but that's kind of how we split up the episode. So, are, are you physically and, and, and mentally prepared to uh, to dive right into side two here? Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, he's stretching his guns. <laughs> If you're listening to the audio podcast, you can't yeah. see this, but he's wearing a tank top, showing off the tats. Um, I don't know why I'm wearing a tank top. It's friggin' freezing out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I mean, it was snowing all day here today. I don't know. Well, yeah, it got sharply very cold here, but I'm like, lately I've been, and I mean, I don't sleep with like a ton of blankets on or I keep it like, you know, abnormally warm in here, but I mean, I've been waking up in the middle of the night, like really, really hot. Mm-hmm. And just like 
like just ripping off like my shirt or whatever. And it's so I'm like, okay, so it's either a tank top or no shirt, but it's like, I'll go to bed feeling snugly and being like, all right, I'll have on like a t-shirt or maybe a, even a hoodie or something, you know, because you get all nice and cozy, mm-hmm. especially a couple of nights ago, there was like, you know, really big gusts of wind. So you're laying in bed and you hear that, that big, like outside and you're just like all covers up to here. You're like, yeah, this is it. And then you wake up at like, I wake up at like 3 a.m. like ugh, you know, sweating like I'm in yeah. an interrogation room. Like, oh God. So no, like, but either that or I'm just freaking old. So well, it's a co- combination of the two. But when when I was the other night when I was mm-hmm. uh super so the the symptoms started kicking in right before bed and I was so I didn't sleep all night and it was just a terrible night. And eventually the kids wanted like one or two kids decided to come in bed and I was like, I'm just going down to the guest room because I need to just be miserable in bed by myself and I went and I was so cold and um my wife had I was downstairs in the guest room bed and there was like a little drying rack that my wife was drying some stuff she had washed and one of my son's winter hats was on there because because he had he had left it out in the snow like who knows when and the snow started to melt so she had washed it a bunch of times and it was dry it was drying and it was dry and i was so cold i just reached over and grabbed it and just jammed it down onto my head just for extra extra warmth I, I, that's how cold i was i wanted to i wanted to wear a winter hat while i was sleeping i don't oh. know if i've ever had that sensation before <laughs> but yeah well not, glad that that's over probably not so. a great advertisement for dose two of the of the vaccine but um that's how i dealt with it anyway hopefully I your results vary yeah did you get dose one yet yeah hopefully no um i'm not looking forward to either one of them <laughs> well if one- i mean i don't mind waiting in line i don't mind getting a shot i do mind feeling like shit yeah well, round one wasn't bad for me i just felt like really tired the next day and just wanted to not be at work and i wishing i hadn't scheduled myself to work late the following day <laughs> i was like this was really stupid but yeah. it was totally doable round two not doable i was just miserable but as quickly as it came mm. on it's like somebody flipped the light switch bink, and then all of a sudden i was just felt instantly 10 times better but very wrung out so it's i guess it's mm. the it's good in that respect it's like getting a bad flu except with a bad flu you don't know when it's going to end with this one you know you're going to feel really lousy for 24 hours and then you're going to feel just kind of regular lousy for maybe 48 so yeah. you can you can uh you can rest easy knowing that i guess but hey we're we're not well, here to tell you too so, much about about the covid vaccine hopefully you're getting yours and and getting over it if you have gotten yours and feeling better so um with that, without further ado, we're going to go into side two yes. of the album and the title track, the titular Perfect Strangers. Probably one of the most iconic openings of any Deep Purple song. And unlike a lot of Deep Purple songs, I mean, it, it doesn't start with the build up, like one instrument coming in after another. This just all hits you right in the face. I mean, you got to admit, John Lord doesn't get, hasn't had too many moments, so to speak, on this album, but he's gotten like two 
really impressive intros. Yes. This being one of them. Those little notes that Richie's picking. Picking those little individual notes out of the chord. Makes me think of the video when it was like all these different like superimposed shots of Ian Gillen freaking out during <laughs> that part. little guitar run he does going right into the chorus there. And I love that little patch he's using there. It sounds like a little chorus of voices almost. Mm-hmm. One motif I've seen running through this album is they they have some kind of darkish kind of passages. And that part, <clears throat> I, I remember so distinctly that that part that where it goes into, I guess it's like nine, four or it's like one bar, four, four, one bar, five, four alternating. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time I ever heard this was on uh, Nobody's Perfect when they did it live. And I just remember mm -hmm. thinking that was sounded so heavy. Like that, that kind of like that sounded more to heavy metal, like heavy metal to me than most Deep Purple stuff did. Oh, well, as you think about like a lot of what makes a heavy metal song isn't just the fast riffs or the distorted guitars or whatever is a lot of it can just be um you know the the key that a song is in the uh the melody the notes that they play like this you know this can be heavy and not be like yeah quote unquote metal and just the dark nature of it like too I think that, yeah like this is heavy I think this is the heaviest thing, maybe outside of Ted, Ted the Mechanic, that Deep Purple ever did. Oh, like maybe Bloodsucker. I don't know. But I don't know what that that patch I mean, is that he's using. It's like same... a like a strings patch on his on the keys. Yeah, it's good stuff. 
But I mean, I always think that I like this too because it's 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 kind of the same chord structure as Heaven on Their Minds from Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, good call. Which I always thought was another one, right? Like 1970, like super heavy riff. Not what you'd expect from a musical either. No. And so here we are with us apart from those few little like licks leading into the chorus from Richie and the little noodling by John. He's doing a little little bit, but there's no real solo at all in that song. No, and that's kind of a nice way to kind of fade out of the song is just this kind of like haunting little, um, I don't know, what would you say it sounded like? Like a kind of a, a flute type? Yeah, like a flute patch. He's, well, he's got those like, ha, 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 those like vocal sounding, almost like, almost maybe like a Mellotron. Or, I don't think it is a Mellotron, but it sounds almost like that. And then, yeah, he's got like a, like a, like a little flute patch or something you might hear like Colin Towns play on uh, an Ian, Ian Gillen or, mm. or an Gillen or Ian Gillen band song. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very kind of haunting song and just and r- opens with that just ripping classic John Lord organ sound, which is just phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think haunting is a um, is a really appropriate word for this song which you don't really think of haunting when you think of Deep Purple. No, not normally. Even though we covered their song Haunted a few episodes ago. But that's not a very haunting song. But it was not haunting. No, it was haunted, not haunting. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Roger Glover says this was one of the best tracks he'd ever been involved with, either in writing, producing, or playing, and it was his favorite track on the album. So, I mean, I I would be willing Mm. to bet this is the most people's favorite track on the album it was released as a single with the b-side of son of alaric which would later be released as a bonus track in later releases so all right what do you think about perfect strangers i think that the worksheet doesn't let me Uh-oh. do anything i know that i'm in the right one you've been locked out oh there we go there you go Nope. Perfect Strangers. Five. Oh, hey Yeah, hey five. <laughs> now, a a five is, as we know, um, I, I was thinking about it, and I was trying, I think on our, maybe it was our episode with Chris L, and I was trying to explain, like, what a five is to me, mm-hmm. because I was getting a lot of, like, Oh, look at the look at the cojones on him giving it a five. <laughs> yeah, Chris, of, Chris was really impressed with your five. <laughs> Which one was it? Um, uh, power. When you give power a five, he power. was yeah. he was he was jealous, and I was like, you know, you could also give it a five. <laughs> he, he was like, man, I wish I was as cool but, as John. <laughs> like like you just. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. But you see, this is like, but I thought about it later and I was, I don't think I was able to put it into words, but a five is, is a song that I rate that I really like and I think is good, but it's a song that I will always play. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's, it's like, if I was like, if I had an album, like if I had an album that had like two or three fives on it, if I didn't want to hear the whole album, those are the only songs that I would ever skip to and want to hear like every time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's what a five means to me is, is like, uh, I mean, is it, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's a, it's gotta be the best song mm-hmm. for me. Um, it's the song that I, I, I never, I, I don't ever not want to hear it. Like I always want to hear it. I skip right to it on the album. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the one that I don't uh, typically get tired of whether that's the popular opinion or not. I mean, in this case, I would think that most people, yeah. most purple fans would say, sure. Um, and I like it because obviously it's uh it's classic. You have the a classic intro. Um, but I mean, it's also just really, um, the, the, the word haunting is probably the best word that we, you know, could use to describe it in one word. Um, uh, plus, I mean, you know, um, you know, Gillen has done a lot of great vocals over the years, but this is the first one, I think in a while where he's like really made use of the technology doing backing vocals, like putting echo on his vocals, like, um, you know, them kind of swirling all over the place, like, um, you know, after the, the end of the first verse and just kind of all coming together. And it's just like, you know, Richie with a guitar in the back, you know, the, the rhythm section, just holding it down, you know, it's just that kind of like steady kind of beat. Um, yeah. I, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, it's, um, classic for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I well, Perfect Strangers also gets a perfect five from me as well. Um, and like you said, for me, a five is is not just a great song, but a song that I like think about all the time and that I that it's that's always kind of top of mind or after I definitely a song I would never skip a song. You know, when they played this, when I went to see them live, I was just like, yeah, like I was more excited about this song than I honestly thought I would be. And I've always loved this song, but. It just kind of uh, it actually surprised me a little bit, like way more excited about this than hearing smoke on the water or hush or just just, you know, nothing against mm. those songs. But th- this one, for some reason, just really jumped out. The same thing with knocking at your back door. It's one of those things like the lyrics are always spinning around in my head. The melody is always spinning around in my head. And this is like obviously one of if you had to have people rank their favorite Deep Purple songs, this would be in the top five for a lot a lot of fans um but it's it's not really typical of them it's got the weird time change segment which they generally don't do um it's got no solos it very understated nobody shows off ian gillen puts in a great vocal performance but there's no screams or anything over the top it's it's a very strong vocal performance richie throws in some really cool little licks like i said going to the chorus john lord's doing his thing everyone's playing is impeccable uh, but it's just a really great piece of songwriting and something that's always the second I heard that I'll remember it like it was yesterday hearing that playing as soon as I heard that, I just thought, wow, this is like Deep Purple's they're heavy metal. And I, I wouldn't call them heavy metal now, but some people loop them into that. But uh, but yeah, just a great, great mm-hmm. song. And like like I think I talked about last in the last episode. Knocking your back door starts so strong. You think, how can they top this going into the second side? But then you see, well, the second, the first song on the second side is named after the album. So it's probably pretty good. And they do not disappoint. Mm. So awesome, awesome track. All right. Next up, we have the second track on the second side, and that's A Gypsy's Kiss. 
it wouldn't be a Deep Purple song if didn't have the word gypsy in the album title on the album somewhere. Really, I don't know if he's got a delay on his bass, if that's what he's. Or if he's just picking really fast. That part is always reminding me of something that. Maybe it just reminds me of this song, I don't know. I love when Gillen like loses it. Yeah, I love that. I love that riff. just really catchy I feel like the the we're not talking a lot we're just like listening it's very bizarre lyrics hmm I love how the main riff belongs to John Lord yeah, and, and Roger Glover's like doubling him on it. Like in this part right here. I love this coming up. Classic purple. Oh, yeah. Got to be 100% Richie on that one. Right into a proper Lord solo. There we go. Yeah, that was such a that was a classic purple instrumental interlude, mi mixing solos. I, yeah, I was composed just say. parts. Sounded like it could have been out of Rainbow too. But just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You had like the harpsichord, you had an organ, you had a guitar solo, you had them, them matching each other. It's just like you have this kind of like a bit of an updated purple song, and then it's almost like they just kind of slipped right back into like 
early 70s. Yeah, like that, that could have been right on place and seamlessly. On burn, you know, like that, that same kind of. Yeah. Almost quasi Bach inspired. Yeah. But I mean, it's great. It's just, it's like, it's like going home, you know? Yep. It's like, ah, there it is. Nice exactly. and comfy. We kind of wish they'd brought in a little earlier in the album, though. Here we are, six tracks in, or yeah, this is our six track in, and we're finally getting the the formula. Yeah, but I don't know. I figured that if you're a big fan of Purple, you're going to stick around and, and wait for it. fade out and who knows how long that would have continued to go on in the studio (laughs) yeah probably a quick fade out because it was either it it fell apart right away or they're just like look this thing goes on for another 20 minutes so let's just cut it here easily see that going on another 20 minutes um who even knows all right a gypsy's kiss what you gonna give that one john um I um hmm. oh, oh there we go. Sorry, I'm not I'm not pausing on the rating. I'm just having some trouble with the spreadsheet here. Um I enjoyed that a lot more than I remembered. Um 4.5. Um I think it's a solid song. And um I was gonna say like before that the interlude, the solo section, I'm like, yeah, it's just really solid, kind of kind of simple riff. Yeah you know, simple purple song, you know, just really good, catchy. And then like, uh, they, they go into all that, that Bach inspired classic deep purple stuff. And they do the kind of like the, the highway star thing, or is it, uh, was it highway star or, or, or burn or uh, something like that? The I forget. Well, I mean, it could, could have been either really. It, it, it's similar. It's reminiscent of his, uh, highway star solo. It's reminiscent of burn. It's, yeah, just you know, uh, classic Richie, which he had done previously in the seventies, but it's just really uh, not none of it's out of place. Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these guys are all great songwriters and performers, so to to kind of integrate that naturally in there, I mean, that's just the way they play. That's yeah, it's not like hey, let's try and shove that you know, let's shoehorn that part in there. It's like a you know, classical part you know uh classic john lord solo doesn't seem out of place at all but it's it's kind of a nice surprise it was uh in the middle a nice little addition there um uh to an otherwise um i would say like like average song or pretty good song that like that elevates it Mm -hmm. because then you're just like yeah that's exciting because first of all like all of all of richie's solos which i said on the last week's episode sound like really improvised but it's like he came back and was like on fire. Like, yeah. Like whoever the engineer was, like however he got his guitar tone, it just like, it came through on the recording, like that it was like raw. And then he was just like, my, my guess is that he probably did in like a take or two. And he was just kind of like, just like whipping them right out. And, um, you know, that's the kind of intensity that I like to hear. Um, you know, especially from a musician like Richie where, 
you know, there are some albums that's been hit or miss, you know, due to, you know, the, uh, the, you know, maybe the recording or, you know, him not, you know, really caring mm-hmm. <laughs> that much, um, whatever it might be. But yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I would, I would say if it wasn't for the instrumental part that really harkens back to the old Deep Purple, the song would get like a 3.5 from me. But the instrumental really bumps it up to a four. Like to me, it doesn't it doesn't quite get to the place where maybe burn might be. Um, but it's really they're like back in full form as Mark II. And I I, I just think the uh, the interplay between the guitar and the keyboards and them working together and taking their taking their solos is, is great. Really solid song. <clears throat> but the pre solo part of the song to me is not bad. It's just to me doesn't quite get there until the the instrumental part starts mm-hmm. um okay <clears throat> excuse me so our next track up is the track wasted sunsets it's a classic Richie improvised or not improvised composed kind of solo I hesitate to call this a ballad, but I, like I don't know what it is. Like it's I don't know it's 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 better than a ballad. <laughs> it's better as this. It's you a know super I mean? ballad. No, it's like it doesn't have that. It it's like ballad esque, but it doesn't have that vibe about it. It's like it's it's like some kind of it's a slow song, but it's not like one that you'd just be like, come on, honey, let's go out on the dance floor and slow dance to it. You know it's what I mean? It sounded to me like like it's part of a song. Like it doesn't have that build that we've heard so many times in so many other bands and permutations where it, it doesn't start off as like just keyboards or just guitar and vocals and then build up to this point it starts up at the build up built up point of one of those songs or like what you'd expect in a power ballad it builds up to this powerful point this one starts off at it which makes it really unusual to me it just starts at this exact intensity level that it ends at I 
I mean, I really like it. Oh, it's phenomenal, yeah. Great performance by Gillen. Classic John Lord, really mellow organ in the background. Richie's solo is on fire. He can he can bring so much mood to a song like this. almost got like a <clears throat> soldier of fortune kind of feel at the end there. I, w- I was, I was just going to say that is if this was like, you know what? I mean, not to dispute the track order or anything like that, but this, that's what I guess this song makes me think of is like, yeah. it sounds like a soldier of fortune type of song where it's a, uh, it's a, like a slower song or maybe a more emotional song that stays on that one level and has that kind of feeling of like all right this is like ending off the album like this would have been a great closer like if they hadn't done like a song after this like this would have been a perfect song to end the album on because it has that kind of like epic um uh, emotional feeling to it you know mostly provided by um richie's guitar parts um which um and i mean you know the uh, you know if you listen to the rest of the song too i mean you hear some you know some great like you know bass some rhythm under there from uh, Roger Glover and um yeah I I think that that's that's one of those songs like I mean even though it doesn't end the album it has that kind of like a uh, like epic feeling yeah, to that, it like, kind of this is the, it sounds like a finale this is the yeah yeah exactly that's that's a great way I was going to say the ending of something it sounds like the like a finale like that's you can make thing. it a finale like if, if it's not if it's not for here then you could make it for something like it could be like um like you think of it like it's um you could play it like after you broke up with somebody you know it's like a breakup song. <laughs> It'd be a or, great song to you know it makes, somebody... you kind of, it makes you want to break up with someone just so you can just go like <laughs> drive off into the sunset and and like sit there just all emotional listening to the song, or just being a teenager in general and being yeah. all you know broody or whatever and just listen just in your room listening to this like well, man nobody well, understands yeah. me. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I know we're we're laughing about it, but it does. It sounds like a note, like you know, you're sitting there, and it's just like it's very like kind of emotional, or like if somebody, somebody that you that you cared about passed away or left mm-hmm. you, or like you know, it's like a song that makes me think of like loss or finality, you know, whether it's an album or or something else. But that's kind of the 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 feeling that it gives me. So it's like, um, um, even though it doesn't have those like you know highs and lows of a classic ballad like you know you were saying while we were listening to the song it's still it's got something but i think that's kind of what i like about it like i think if you took this song back in 1940 years ago took this song to a song doctor whatever they they would like oh we're gonna punch it up and there's so many like more cliche Mm -hmm. things you could throw into here like like for instance, it just starts oh. with the piano and Gillen singing, or just an acoustic guitar and Gillen singing over it, and then it like slowly builds up. The drums come in, the bass comes in, it builds up to this big crescendo, and then it does the whole thing, and then it then it goes back to just the piano with Ian's vocals. And 
I'm sure you could rearrange the song and make it sound really cool that way. But it's also it would not be. There's plenty of songs that do that, that do it really, really well, and it would not make this song stand out in any way. You could you'd have to turn this into maybe like a six minute song, the whole build up, and it would be great. But I love the fact that it's not song doctored. It's just like this is what they're feeling. They're just going to boom, kick right into it, right with that little guitar, the composed guitar part in the beginning, kick right into the song, deliver all the lyrics, do a cool guitar solo, and and then we're done and we're out. And um, I think there's something to be said. Right for that too it, it it doesn't need to have all that formulaic stuff thrown in there so oh absolutely i think that um you know this is this is like the the full band or electric version of um um let's see how the song we we're just talking about i don't know how come it's like soldier of fortune the yeah soldier of fortune yeah because it even has some of the same like melodies in it that that gillen was singing when you think when when i think about it it's like if you think about this song for a minute played with just an acoustic guitar and gillen singing it like you were saying if a song doctor took it and he was like or say they just did a different version of it say they did the unplugged version of it it's like another another case of maybe subconsciously or maybe consciously richie trying to do another idea over that he did once before or you know maybe it's just the fact that that's the way that you know he and you know some of the some of the guys play and they just come up with that because it's just so you know these patterns and these melodies and everything are just so ingrained in that maybe they may you know they write a song that's similar to another one they don't even know it yep but i mean either way i mean it's like it's yeah it's it's just it's uh fantastic it's great all right. So, how do you rank Wasted Sunsets? Four point five. Right. Wasted Sunsets. <laughs> For all the reasons that I just said and will not repeat. Yeah, we just kind of get, talked about. I will also give this one a four point five. I think it's a great one. Uh, it's just a great. Mm. I love songs that just capture a, a mood so well, and this is one of yeah. them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Much, much in the way that yeah. uh, Soldier I, of Fortune does. Yeah, I think I got very like cerebral with my interpretations there. You're a cerebral kind of guy. Don't let those uh don't let those yeah. those shoulders, those those pecs fool you that you can see John's tank top on. He's very cerebral. <laughs> he's not a he's not a himbo. I'm not just uh I'm just, <laughs> I'm not I'm not a mimbo a mimbo. A mimbo or a himbo. A mimbo or a himbo. Yeah, I'm not just uh not just a, just not just a bunch of muscles. And <laughs> he's not all. He's just not all muscle. This guy. He's also got some brains. Too. Not all muscles. The muscle. <laughs> the muscle between my ears is also very perceptive. It's your your best attribute. All right, but anyway. All right. So, <laughs> but uh, but wasted sunsets does not close out this album because after that we got one more track, <laughs> and that is the track "Hungry Days." E-A-Z-E. I always thought it was a weird play on words. Another one that's kind of like it's weirdly like heavy, but also weirdly like kind of it's a little more whimsical. 
and goes to a completely different place than you'd expect after the whimsical opening. Right. Yeah, but if you took that, if you took that, uh, that riff and you threw some distortion on it, you could make it really heavy. So it sounds like kind of Gillen and Glover recounting their their days before joining Deep Purple or as they joined Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. I always like that line. Yeah, he gets ahead of himself. Ah, that's another song. We'll get to that later. We all came out to Montreux, but that's another song. (laughs) Like that self-referential stuff. Oh, it's a couple of little screams. cool stuff going on here. Glover showing off his production chops. It's weird, like he keeps saying hungry days in this and he's using it interchangeably between like being in a daze and days D-A-Y-S. Huh. Is he saying these are the hungry days, but earlier he's saying in the hungry days, so. Hmm, okay. But it sounds like when he's opening up the song, he's talking about the hungry days, like before they joined Deep Purple, when him and Roger Glover were sharing a pair of pants. <laughs> that the, they only had one pair of pants between the two of them, and you know. <laughs> oh, and he says he even says the stinking hippie, which they use what they used to call Roger Glover. So like he's, it sounds like he's recounting his <laughs> going from episode six into Deep Purple and things falling apart in Deep Purple, and 
I'm not sure what the overarching theme is. I'm just kind of my interpretation of the lyrics. <laughs> I love the Muppet, the Muppet voice at the end. I love that you, they kind of fake you out wow. into thinking you're going to get a fade out, but like, nope. It's going to end it real tight. Bashing my head into this microphone. Um, all right. Hungry Days. You want to take it away? I'll give this one a uh, 3.5. All right. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's good. Um, after hearing it and then uh, maybe a little biased, you know, here in Wasted Sunsets, thinking that this probably shouldn't have been the last song. Um, I think it does, like, end out the album on a mood, though, like mm -hmm. the kind of just, like, really abrupt ending. It is it is an ending. It's, like, it, it's um, not a bad ending song for it. I think Wasted Sunsets could have been a cooler ending track but um but overall i think that this is a um um pretty decent song mm -hmm. um yeah for like um i mean i was listening to a lot of these with like you know kind of a fresh perspective now because i haven't listened to the album um in a little while and uh there were a lot of songs that kind of caught me off guard like wow all right yeah i like that a little more than i remembered um just because i you know when we listen to these albums they're not casual listens were like sitting and actually listening to them. Um, but this one didn't strike me as much. I think that if, I think this ended at the perfect spot because of the song, if the, the album went on for another song or two, I think that it would have started running out of steam. Yeah, totally. So, and here I feel like it did like a little bit, but not quite. So I'd say this is a good song. Not, not great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with you 100%. 3.5 for me as well. I It almost seems like a Hungry Days, Wasted Sunsets, if you just whoop, flip those two around, you would have had that little like little dip in the towards the end of the side, and then boom, ended really strong. But um, I think it's, to me, Hungry Days is probably the weakest track on the album, but it's a good track. It's, mm. it's a good rocker, the really great little... It's it's a bebops around. It keeps you it keeps you interested. Um, you got some great screams by Gillen, but yeah, just not to me. Probably not up to the to the level of the other tracks on the album. So. Mm -hmm. All right, so that um, wraps up the album, which means it is time for us to see where does Perfect Strangers stack up in the. Um, in in our album reviews, uh, given given that rating, um, before well, we before we get to um, the uh, the other um, before we get to the official reviews, what is what does our review tell us? Um, so our review tells us that um, it actually does rank quite high, combined mm. for us um, eight eight point five rating. Mm. Uh, there's a zero percent variance. We both rate, rated it um four point five uh, uh 4.25 each so we're wow. equally equally like this album yeah we we, um, uh, we rated a couple songs differently but uh, yeah in the end we ended up at the same number yeah. yeah so we pretty much like the album the same and it's actually one of our highest rated albums 
Oof. So I um, would not have seen we that go, coming. Um, no, we go California Jam, which you know we don't really count. Um, White Snake, of course, David Coverdale, White Snake, Rainbow Rising, Jesus Christ Superstar, Perfect Strangers. Wow, out of so out of fifty, let's so, see, fifty-seven albums that we've, that we've reviewed, this comes in basically fourth. So you want to take out like California Jam and Jesus Christ Superstar if you want to handicap it, just because California Jam was a video. Jesus Christ Superstar, like four side album, yeah. you know, that's kind of unfair. So you'd say Coverdale's White Snake, Rising, Perfect Strangers. And then actually trailing that is Long Live Rock and Roll, mm-hmm. um, Stormbringer, Come Taste the Band, which I am really surprised that Stormbringer and Come Taste the Band are behind this one. I am, yeah, I'm totally, totally shocked, to be honest with you. Um, um, and by by a little bit, by a little bit of a margin. But I think um, I think it much. comes from the fact that much, you know, like if Burn didn't have a two hundred on it, that for example, that would have probably made made it pop way up into the thing. I think the the total collection of the songs on Perfect Strangers is really solid, and there might be a you know, there's I don't want to call a two hundred a dog, but it definitely drags down the overall average for Burn. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, I think it's a, it's a uh, like we just said, a solid album. Um, it's really uh, their highest ranked Deep Purple album combined. Like I ranked, I ranked Stormbringer higher mm-hmm. uh, overall than this, but other mm-hmm. and and Come Taste the Band just ever so slightly higher than this. Me personally, but combined, it's our highest ranked Deep Purple album. Uh, actually, uh, I I did. I ranked Stormbringer higher, and Come Taste the Band a little bit higher. So, um, if you're talking about personal preference, no, you ranked too, you ranked Stormbringer um, lower. Um, oh, oh, that's right. I'm looking at your ratings again. Um, oh, boo. Okay. All right. Well, screw me then. <laughs> I guess it just goes to show you like a song that like an album that doesn't have there's been some great albums that have a couple filler tracks on it. And it's it's also been, I don't know, a year and a half since we covered any other Deep Purple albums. So, um, yeah, Long long Live Rock and Roll was exactly the same ratings for me, too. And I mean, you know, you could take that with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, um, if we went back and did another show or uh, did another pass over our ratings. Like, Hey, what would you rate this album now? It could be different. Yep. Oh, um, totally. You know, this is just what I rated it today. And that doesn't mean that tomorrow I'm going to hate perfect strangers, but, um, you know, it's definitely, definitely up there for a reason. Um, I mean, it's pretty solid. I'm kind of surprised because, um, even though like I was going to say it's good, like solid, like, um, uh, production it's consistent um in terms of like the songwriting like the sound the playing it's not like all over the place it's not like an album like um like a hodgepodge type album uh almost like uh fireball or something like that yep um you know which had a lot of kind of different you know kind of a patchwork of styles on it or something it sounds really like one album like machine head sounded like a, a collection of songs um in rock sounded like a collection of songs so does this yep. Um, you know, well-written, uh, what have you, but I'm actually kind of surprised because of the lack of classic purple elements, like not a whole lot of featured John Lord. 
um, at least not in the way that we would probably most like yep. it. I mean, you know, he added a lot of like uh, texture to the songs. He, of course, had like two iconic intros, um, which is nothing to sneeze mm -hmm. at. But, you know, no, not a lot of, you know, interplay between him and Richie, not a lot of extended solos or anything that, you know, featured him, which was um, always a little disappointing when I don't get uh, don't get a lot of that. But. Yeah, I think that from him, I don't know. I mean, this is a very well regarded album in, in Purple fandom. And, you know, we could sit here and play uh, 40 years after quarterback or whatever, <laughs> all we want. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the only I think the only criticism I'd really have of the album is it would, would have been nice to have some more John Lord. Or a little more featured John Lord. But yeah, a little um, a little more solos, a little more interplay between him and Richie. Um but, but great compositions said, all around. Yeah, that being said, I mean, you know, uh, great songs, great performances. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, um, you know, given what we like from this lineup so much that we, you know, um, I mean, we know what we wanted, but we didn't. Well, I mean, I guess you can't just be like, oh, they're not allowed to do John Lord solos, like two. You know, it's like you're not gonna do, you're not gonna do that. Wasted but, Sunsets gets a two because there's no John Lord solo. But it's just like it's kind of. Um, yeah, well, I guess that just goes for the songwriting. I mean, it's like I also feel that there were like a lot of good songs on the album too. Um, yeah, like you could oh, tell yeah. that they were they were going for the the songwriting. And I mean, by now, by this time too. I mean, Richie and and Roger Glover had been doing those those Rainbow albums, like yep, you know, chasing for the commercial um, aspect of the business you know chasing the hits and you know they they were good at it you know they were good at like producing and writing and trying to come up with that stuff that would be um you know attention grabbing and um you know get on the radio or be um you know commercially successful or something that people would like but i i think that they kind of you know they achieved that but still being themselves doing their formula being mark II, being just a good band not just being like oh let's let's put out hits because it's like you know, you're not going to hear like an 80s style hit on this album right? Um, by any means. But, you know, they know how to write a song that the fans like. And it was obviously successful. And yeah, great job. Sure thing. Mm. All right. Well, that, my friends, was Perfect Strangers. Uh, before we move on, we're going to cover some of the... Uh, reviews and things that happen after the album. But before we move on, we're going to take a little break to thank our core level patrons coming in at the episode $6.66 tier. We have Richard Fusey at the $5.99 nice price tier fielding Fowler at the $5 money lender tier. Greg Sealby, John Convery, Arthur Smith, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Kenny Wymore, Jesper Alman, Alexi, the perfect stranger, Slipakoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, and... Hey -o. Our hey -o. newest patron, Kev Roberts. Thank you, Kev. And at the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Anton Glaving, Will Porter, Andrew Meyer, Duncan Leesk, and Stuart McCord. Woo! We have to break up the core level. That's so many people. So, yeah, um, that's a lot of peeps. And uh, speaking of uh, our core level patrons, Mr. Kenny Wymore uh, sent this in the other day, which I thought was really, uh, really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he sent this in. So he got this copy of Roger Glover Elements at the record store. And here's what he has to say. Um, 
Hey guys, I thought this was funny, so I had to share it. I picked up a copy of Elements on the vinyl the other day. It's a white label promo copy. The funny thing is that someone wrote mostly mellow jazz on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like someone also scratched rock in between the words mellow and jazz. So it could have read mostly mellow rock and jazz if the rock part had been in ink too. The picture doesn't really show that though. I don't think I would use those adjectives to describe this album, but okay. Now, since this is a promo copy, it makes me wonder if the person who originally owned this received a lot of promo records and marked all of them this way by writing directly on the album cover. It seems like a barbaric way to catalog something and one that would only be employed if you received so many albums that you no longer cared about them. Anyway, I thought this was funny. Adds a bit of mystery to the ownership chain of the album, if nothing else. Picture attached. So there it is. If you zoom in, you see the 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 looks like ballpoint pen, mostly mellow jazz. I just imagine like like somebody getting this in a collection and just like he listens to it, it's like eh, mostly mellow jazz, and just tosses it like aside. Next, you can even see this big crease in the cover here. Like probably just threw it off to the side. Done with this album. Not interested. But yeah, it could have been like maybe it was something sent to a radio station. But it's funny that they wouldn't even use like a. I mean, I guess if it's old, they wouldn't have had post-its, but. Uh, like a post-it or just some some other way of doing it, but to actually just write it directly on the album cover is like kind of sacrilege. Anyway, thank you, uh, Kenny, for sending that in. I got a real good kick out of that one. <laughs> mostly mellow jazz. It's not mostly mellow jazz. I think the um, that song, the the air, the the song about the air. What the heck's the name of it? Roger Glover, elements. Uh, that's the song that kind of sounds mostly like jazz. The fourth, uh, the fourth rings with the wind. That that song, I think, okay. maybe is what maybe this person got to that song is like, ah, this is just mellow jazz because it's kind of that repeating uh, rhythm mostly, over and over again. But it's mostly mellow jazz, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> just makes it seem like like right down on a Kenny G album, not on this. But <laughs> makes me want to listen to Elements again. I haven't listened to it since we did that episode. It's such a good record. Makes me want to li- listen to some Kenny G now. <laughs> you want to just listen to some mostly mellow jazz um okay so uh to, to wrap up this album so after a few weeks of recording this album uh richie and roger flew to hamburg to mix the album ian pace uh said in the tommy vance interview he said they hoped they could inject a little more thought and class into rock and rock and roll so there's this great interview disc um that I don't have back there, but it's back there somewhere. But it's basically called the interview album, and it's just interviews with all five of them about this record. Um, Ian Gillen described what he thought was going on with pop in the mid 80s as a fashion show. Ian Pace says it's kind of annoying because all the exciting bands seem to be coming from America at the moment, and that's not the way God intended it <laughs> like that. Um as I think we talked about last week, the CD and cassette original releases contained an extra track. The cassette release contained the track not responsible and then the cd re-release in the in the 90s i think late 90s contained the bonus track son of alaric which is the b-side to uh, perfect strangers uh which is a solo blackmore composition so it's a uh instrumental a long instrument i think it's like 10 minutes or something um so we'll, we'll have to cover those uh another day um so the album was obviously a huge success it reached number five in the uk charts number 17 um in the u.s it was the second album to be certified platinum in the U.S. after Machine Head. And the following tour was such a success that they had to add a bunch of additional dates because the, they just kept selling out because people wanted to go see Deep Purple again. Said so in 1985, their tour was only outgrossed by Bruce Springsteen. No other band, um, uh, no other band uh, uh, 
match them as far as that goes. Um, Roger Glover said of this album, it's a great moment in time. This is this is weird. I can't remember where I saw this quote, but Roger Glover says a great moment in time. But as an album, it doesn't quite hang together, which I find a very odd quote. Hmm. I mean, seems yeah, I mean, it just seems like such like you talked about many times. It sounds like such a cohesive album, like everything just sounds like it belongs kind of together. So, yeah, that's an odd way to like promote your album <laughs> i don't know that he said it in the promotion phase of the album he said it at some point it might have been more a more recent oh, okay yeah he okay. wasn't I like i was gonna say like, all right roger know, get out in... there on the road and sell some albums i don't know it's it doesn't really quite work I'm like get him out of there get somebody out <laughs> put somebody in marketing in these interviews roger you're yeah, killing right, he was probably maybe said it like 10 years ago or something yeah exactly know, exactly it doesn't sound like something you'd say like you know right on the heels of recording <laughs> Well, it doesn't hang together, but I mean, you know, it's all right, I guess. So let's just, uh, you see Bruce Payne in the background, just, just, just cut it, get him out, get him off, get him off. You're killing me, you Roger. See, you see like the big, what is it? That the big that, hook, that big, that big cane from yeah. like, uh, what is it? From the Warner um, Brothers cartoons. Or, yoink. <laughs> or like that show. What was that show where like somebody be playing and then like the, the, the cane would come out like, um. What was that show where they, somebody would get up and they do a they do an act the gong, and oh, like, the gong show and they the <laughs> yeah, the gong gong. Show. <laughs> Roger Glover would be like oh, as they like dragged him off with the cane. Uh, Ian Pace says um, to me it's a natural progression from the earlier records, but with a ten year growth period in between, it was a revelation to capture the spirit of the Mark II Purple once again. Very refreshing. John Lord says a perfect album. It said everything about the band that needed to be said. We weren't trying to be super new in the 1980s band. And at the same time, we weren't just a nostalgia band. Um, and there was a lot of talk about that, too, when they're talking about getting the band back together. Um, I forget who the main talk. I think mostly Lord Blackmore. I think all of them were just saying, like, we'll do this reunion, but we don't want it to just be a nostalgia act. Like, oh, we're going to get together and play the greatest hits of Machine Head or whatever. They wanted to create right. new music and I'm glad that they did. Richie said, uh, we put Deep Purple back together to annoy the press, basically. Give them something to bitch about. That is really our number one priority, to upset the critics. So, typical Richie response to whatever the question was. Um, huh. And then um, then we get into the reviews. So, shall I start it off with the review from Rolling Stone? Ugh. <laughs> I'm already annoyed. Go ahead. And you should be. Um, Perfect Strangers. Review by Deborah Frost. Two stars. That frosty bitch. <laughs> All right. Let's Here see what she has to say, Ms. Frost. Ms. Frost, if that's your real name. The title track comes blasting out of nowhere, like I'm alive and well message from an old friend you'd given up for dead. With its steamy vocals and genuine, if uncharacteristic, touches of wit throbbing above Deep Purple's heavy signature sound, Perfect Stranger sets the tone for this venerable band's reunion album. Lead singer Ian Gillen, who's never been in finer and deeper throat, sinuously glides into lyrics that suggest these veterans have something to say about where they've been the last few years. Can you remember? Remember my name? I'm an echo of your past. And have lots more to offer in the future. For a moment, you almost wonder why Purple ever faded away in the first place. Until, that is, you hear the rest of the album. Oh, and here we go. We're off to the races. Now, uh. now I can spend the rest of the review trashing 
the album. Accepting the title cut and the rambunctious but less effective knocking at your back door, the material consists of hastily knocked off jams that allow guitar demigod Richie Blackmore to whip out his finger exercises in public. The band spent about six to eight weeks recording this comeback. The current lineup is actually neither the original nor the final Deep Purple, but the most successful of Smoke on the Water fame. It doesn't sound as if they spent much more time thinking about it either. Blackmore's Strat has such a great roar that if you're willing to just let it reverberate in your eardrums for a bit. And it's nice to hear John Lord's unsynthesized organ squalls, Ian Pace's meaty pounding, Gillen's howls and whispers, and Roger Glover's solid bass lines once again. Even though it's enough of the sound check already, where are the songs? Instead of Glover, an outside producer might have forced the band to tighten up its licks and arrangements. Then again, did Deep Purple ever have more than one or two really good concise numbers on an album? Maybe they're just making the kind of record they always did, the only one they know how to make. So why are they doing this? To cash in on the current heavy metal craze, in which dozens of young upstarts are making fortunes playing purple riffs? Following a recent Meet the Press shebang promoting the album and impending world tour, the band members, minus the temperamental Blackmore, who true to his an, Im an image, an image, an image, didn't show. Instead, they don't need the dough. Perhaps the answer lies in Wasted Sunsets, a portrait of an aging rock star who got gold and silver for blues, but nothing to do except to drink the nights away. It's nice that Perfect Strangers got purples out of their respective mansions. Too bad they didn't venture farther from home. Hmm. So there you go. Well, it doesn't really sound like she's trashing it. Well, two no. well, I well, mean, I mean, two she's stars gotta, obviously it sounds like she's trash. She's a music critic, so like she's got to get all these little digs and show off her, you know, kind of like, ah, look how yeah. witty I am sort of stuff. Um, yeah, but it's not like it doesn't sound like, you know, how some of our, like some reviews that, you know, you've read before. For oh, I've been albums, really, so really just trashing like, it, yeah. Yeah, they've just been like, you know, downright like, you know, no talent hacks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this yeah. is just kind of like it's not it's not really like it's not really complimentary but it doesn't sound like outright uncomplimentary or insulting either it's just kind of like Meh. no i mean there's a few things like you know a few things like hastily knocked off jams well like i mean that's kind of all i don't want to say hastily but they've always just been a, a band that jams on a riff and then kind of puts songs together they're not like Deep Purple's not the greatest song arrangers of all time. They've got they've got a formula that I think works really well for them. That they do well together. Also, kind of painting, she's kind of paint, painting Blackmore the way that like people will will paint a lot of shredders these days. But I don't mm. get that with Blackmore. Like, like oh, he's just like practicing his scales and trying to go as fast as he can. It's like, I mean, maybe it's just because we've been desensitized for an additional 40 years of hearing what real shredders do. But when you listen to this, everything Richie Blackmore is playing is really soulful and from the heart and has a ton of passion in it. Even yeah. if some of it's like, Whoa, where did he go with that? Like he's going almost off the rails on some of the stuff. Um, I don't really, it's not like he's like, you know, Michelangelo Badio and just like, like just playing with two, two necks and like just trying to do it a sweep arpeggio as fast as he can. He's there's still a ton of feeling and everything of what he's doing. So, Oh yeah. But anyway, um, that link will be in the show notes if you uh, care to read it. Um, another one, it's more of an article from the L.A. Times just kind of about. Um, oh, the other thing about the before I move on about the the article is it is always fun kind of reading <clears throat> stuff from this time about how like these guys are so impossibly old. I can't believe that you know, these guys, they were all younger than you and I are right now when they were doing this. And 
you know, they were all in their late 30s. Maybe John like, Lord might have been his early 40s. Like, yeah, late 30s, early 40s, like maybe like like. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, that would that would carry on through like even the later 80s where oh, yeah. everybody was like the Rolling Stones are so old in like 1989, <laughs> the steel wheelchair tour. Exactly. And they were, like 30 years later, they're age. still touring. It's like it's, you know, I mean, that that's that's just kind of funny that they would consider anyone in their late 30s or early 40s. Just like it. Why are they even doing this crazy? It's it's insane to think of these geriatrics on stage doing this like it's they were they were like 28 like 10 years earlier like it was only (laughs) 10 years ago that they were around and they were and they're still around now this was like this this album was what like almost 40 years ago yep yeah now they're old absolutely they're still good but it's like now they are old yeah because yeah gillen yeah gillen would have been 39 well he would have turned 39 in 1984 so he when he recorded this he might have been 38 so i mean that sounds 38 sounds pretty good to me these days. Um, But (laughs) it's just, it's, it's so funny how, how that's kind of changed so much. And I guess it was less common back then. And now there's so many more, we're just used to, I mean, I'll think of, you could, you could rattle off two dozen bands right now that are in their sixties and seventies, you know, from everyone from Rolling Stones to Kiss to Deep Purple to you name it. They're just Aerosmith. All these guys are still out there doing it. So, well, if there was shows that would be doing it, but they're still around and none of them have called it quits. So, right. And, and you know, these are the same bands that 30 or 40 years ago, people were saying were too old. So there you go. Um, LA times article. It's more of an article just kind of about the leading up to it. It, it kind of goes through the split up of the band. Um, uh, John Lord has some quotes about uh, why they broke up, you know, a lot of petty arguments and, um, uh, then they kind of just go into a little bit more of uh, of what the what it, the article ends with a you know a lot of qu- good quotes from Glover, but Glover says uh, it says Glover is realistic. The harmony he speculated is only temporary. He says we're basically the same people we were twelve years ago. So there'll be fights, but this time we have enough experience to know what not to do. We won't let petty differences get big enough to cause a split again. But we all know the friction will happen. There's always friction in this band and there always will be. So there you go. Um, Then we've got their review in the Deep Purple Appreciation Society um, magazine, uh, which is great. And uh, actually, we've got some really great stuff. Uh, Jeff Bryce sent us some really, really cool stuff um, uh, about uh, Perfect Strangers, including uh, Darker Than Blue, which is the old Deep Purple Appreciation Society uh, magazine and here is a copy of his his copy um and opening it up is issue number 29 july 1984 um kind of goes through the stuff about the reunion some cool pictures there um all these different articles and things about the deep purple reunion which is really cool um yeah really really cool stuff um I wish I had some of these old copies. They they sell on eBay really expensive though. So <clears throat> if anyone's listening and they're like, "Oh man, I'm so tired of having my complete collection of Deep Purple Society uh, a Deep Purple Appreciation Society magazine lying around, they're really clogging things up. I I, I got to get rid of them." Just just send me a message. I'll 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 put them to good use. 
Um, but really cool stuff. But uh, in the in the uh, on the online version, I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, there's a review and uh, it says the album hit the record stores here on October 29th, though most London stores held out for the official release date of November 2nd. The cover appalls me. Looks like something a 13 year old would carve into the school desk in a moment of boredom. The music, you know, damn well what went down at those rehearsals in the studio must have been electric. Yet the energy doesn't always communicate itself to the listener, which is a shame. The temptation in reviewing it is to get carried away by the fact that they are back together and rave about the goodies while playing down the more mediocre stuff. That would be wrong. Knocking at your back door effortlessly crosses the gap between commercial and hard rock in a way Rainbow tried so long to achieve. Lovely chugging strings in the intro, Pacey lays into it, the Hammond swirling about, and the very typical Blackmore riff. Polished performances all around and disgustingly catchy. Nobody's Home is a hard rocker, uh, steal from Lay Down, Stay Down, amongst others. Mean Streak doesn't consist of much at all. Pounding bass, hi-hat, and what sounds like a good organ work buried in really muddy sound. I find it hard to say a lot about the title track. It is everything Purple ever were to me. If I had to justify the reunion to anyone, this cut would suffice. Ian's vocals charge with emotion, all set over a gorgeous piece of work from the band. It belongs up there with the best of everything they've ever done before. Wasted Sunsets is nicely predictable. It could have made a blinder. I That's probably like... And I've heard of, that's like a British expression that I don't really exactly know what it means. <laughs> Could have made a blinder. I don't I don't know. One of our great British listeners will have to translate that for us. Um, I'd have liked uh, a quiet start, taking it up gradually to increase the power. That's funny, which is exactly kind of what we said about about it. Uh, Hungry Days is a bit of a letdown being the best uh, best bit being the middle part. Third Stone from the sun revisited the burn album is probably the closest point of reference in terms of how i feel about the album overall that too was recorded quickly and showed some marks marked change of style this time we've been prepared somewhat with rainbow and the shadow of the band that is fairly strong more variety in the manner of gillen's output over the past few years wouldn't go amiss so i think it's a pretty good review um yeah. kind of states a lot of what we stated um it's funny i I didn't read this before we uh, recorded and I'm like, wow, saying exactly what we said about Wasted Sunsets. Although he's saying he would have liked it a little bit more to have that more of that build to it. And I'm mm. saying that I think that would have been good, but I think um, it's interesting that they do it this way. It's interesting and different. Yeah. So pretty good review there. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of great stuff from Jeff Bryce. He sent, uh, I'll put some of the stuff in the show notes. Uh, I sent over this great um, press release they sent for the band. Um, so it's kind of a biography of the band. We, we've seen this before. I forgot which. I think it was the uh, Burn album with the, the lineup change kind of going through. So it's like the legendary lineup is returned with a masterful new album. You know, it's obviously all marketing. Um, talks about, goes through a lot of stuff. It's talking about Book of Taliesin, Concerto for Group and Orchestra, going through the whole history of the band. Um going through machine head who do we think we are and then kind of talking about them disbanding after that and um since it's a van their legion of fans remain loyal to the band and continue following all the exploits of the individual members and then just talks about the get, getting back together and what the new album is going to be like so it's kind of a cool um cool little uh artifact there and jeff bryce has has everything imaginable when it comes to this sort of stuff and then our old friend Jorg also sent us a, a few little tidbits here. Here is a review from Kerrang, 
by our good friend Jeff Three Stars Barton. Um, although he's not really getting into stars in in this one, so um, it says deep purple, deep purple, perfect strangers. So, like, what did you expect? A bold step into the 80s, a la Yes, and their titanically technological 90125 album, or a tedious exercise in crass money-making by people going through the motions who should be old enough to know better, or more of the same. Well, place your bets on the last category, folks, because with Perfect Strangers, the old DPs take up right where Machine Head, and let's forget about who do we think we are, shall we? Left off. Neither a disappointment nor a revelation. The first LP from the reformed Deep Purple is chock full of good, solid, acutely english heavy rock um so he goes through all of that he ends with perfect strangers is good solid comeback album but is that enough i'm inclined to think that for the time being it is although by the same token if i was still on the other music paper i think i'd fight shy of awarding this disc a full five star rating for the moment though let's just say it's great to have the guys back and predict that the next one will be the killer well, I think you missed the mark on that one, Jeff Barton, but <laughs> we'll get to that on our House <laughs> of Blue Light <laughs> review. Don't want to give too much away. Um, but yeah, I mean, House of Blue Light would have been three years later, and they, they spent a lot of time touring, and um, I could see why I would think that, but I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to... when we get to whatchamacallit, House of Blue Light. Um... So here we go. Uh, another one in Melody Maker. This one's by uh, Barry McElhenney. Um, strange, but not perfect. Starts off. We've all heard a lot in the recent months about the growing state of despair in this green and pleasant land, a mood that can be detected in a number of different places. The current spate of divisive blah, 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 blah. Yes, they're back in all their original glory. Masters Gillen, Blackmore, Glover, Lord and Pace. The very same lineup is featured in all those early albums, detail of which are supplied here in the crucial family tree that will get you uh, get to help you with such weighty matters. This, along with the inner sleeve notes of the boys, is by far the most entertaining part of the whole thing, with hours of fun for the family as you will try to work out who went where in the 15th split caused, of course, by serious musical differences. So it goes on and on and on. Um... He uh, talks about the album and concludes with, but I hear you ask with increasing frustration, is there nothing at all worthwhile about this long-awaited return of Deep Purple? Well, no, to be perfectly honest, there's not. Because the whole idea of a band like Deep Purple, who had far more their allotted 15 minutes of infamy in the first place, coming back to haunt us young things with their bizarre lyrics and horrible music, is best a, sad, a very sad development, and at worst, a somewhat offensive reflection on the assumed average intelligence intelligence of today's record buying public so there you go somebody who fuck this guy <laughs> wow that was that was pretty scathing yeah um that was pretty that no that was insulting that's what i expected from rolling stone from the frosty bitch yeah, it says the title track itself does initially go some way towards rescuing the entire album from mega turkey status, boasting what? a rather neat hook line or whatever you want to call it. But then again, it is too is fatally infected with the mumbo jumbo imagery that crops up all over the place with depressing monotony. So, yeah. So yeah. but he kind of admits at the end, like basically this guy hates Deep Purple. So um, I guess what are you going to expect? 
That was yeah, from- well, I mean, you know, somebody forced him to write about it, then you know. Yep. Oh, I'll write about it. All right. It's <laughs> fine. I'll review it, even though I think they're trash. Yep. Idiot. Yeah. So this stupid idiot. I don't like him. Um. Um. Then got two really short ones. One from Sounds. This is a review of the single. It says, up and coming newcomers in record at wrong speed scandal. Three days wasted searching for a record player with a 78 RPM speed selection. That funny looking Gillen and his boys have had fun, but they're not as heavy as the league. Don't even know what the hell they're talking about. What? (laughs) I don't. Yeah, sometimes the record reviewers are just like, you know, I, I think that's kind of the main issue with like a lot of the record reviews. It's like, you know, just cut the bullshit. And just talk about the, you know, they, they, they have to use all this flowery dialogue and, and, and go off on these little sides and have these little parentheticals and talk. About, oh, ho, 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 look how witty I am. And it's just, you know, just freaking talk about the, the, the music. Uh, but I guess kind of like that. Is it that Frank Zappa quote, like writing about music is like dancing about architecture? You know, it's it, it, I think it's kind of that it's it is hard to write. It's hard to talk about music in a, and you can't really do it in any sort of objective way. But yeah. um, but it would be nice if they, they they were trying less to be so cheeky and more to just kind of mm-hmm. say, here's some, you know, kind of being a little bit more middle of the road and s- straight about what you like or don't like about it. Right. Then we got this one uh, from UK Review. Perfect Strangers. Can you remember my name? Asks Mr. Gillen. Well, no. Can you? Is it John Lord who plays keyboards here? Whoever it is sounds exactly the same as it did 15 years ago. Some things never change, and this is one of them. So, very hmm. okay. Another kind of quick. Look how witty I am. Whatever, hundred word. Not even hundred words. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like we were talking about the other week, like, oh, look at me make my pithy comments. Yeah, exactly. I'm so I'm so clever. Hey, guys, guys, look what I just said. Look at this scathing thing I just said about Deep Purple. It's unbelievable. Mm, excuse me while I put in my monocle. <laughs> <laughs> Idiots. Yeah, a lot of a lot of that going around. Uh, but I think what they're talking about, the family tree thing is is the classic, uh, I guess it's the Pete, Pete Frame thing, which is, I guess this must have come with some sort of, I guess this came with the UK single, which is that kind of deep purple family tree when it was much smaller. But you've got, um, you know, starting at the top, you've got, you know, the artwork, the artwoods and the savages and the outlaws all kind of like coming down this tree into roundabout, which forms into deep purple. And then the split with where episode six is and where elf and rainbow split off and black Sabbath. So um, white snake splitting off back later. So this is a a 1984 version of that, which has only Mm. gotten more intense. So, and you can buy like framed copies of this right, right now. And they're they're super expensive. I I always wanted kind of the most recent one because it's, or any of them, they, they look really cool. You know, that's that's one thing that um, looking at this kind of makes me think of is um, I've seen stuff like this. Like we always talk about the Deep Purple family tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a obvious, uh, like, um, literal object of it. 
but I don't think that I've really, and I'm sure other bands have done it too, but I don't think that I've seen too many other bands do this kind of thing because I remember somewhere seeing this and that's where I got the whole notion of the Deep Purple family tree, Mm -hmm. which I think is one of the cool things about this band because it's like even that version, this older version of it, it's just, it's pretty, pretty impressive how it splits off and goes in all these different directions and you know i, I, I think like it's really neat. i like this as a as a historical artifact because you see it only yeah. goes up to unfortunately the resolution i don't think well no it goes up to white snake uh mark four which mm-hmm. includes cozy and then you've got and mick moody and then it goes up to black sabbath splitting off to dio and only the first mark of dio because this is 1984 so you got vinnie apice you've got um jimmy bain you've got vivian campbell so you've got this kind of snapshot in history like like imagine dio is probably only around for less than a year when they made this and how Mm -hmm. many more incarnations of dio were there after this or white snake for god's sake or black sabbath all of them so you know even black sabbath was just black sabbath had 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 Ian Gillen and there was no, they hadn't even gotten to Glenn Hughes yet by the, when this was made, they didn't even know what, where black Sabbath was going mm-hmm. when this right. poster was made. So it's really cool. And now I know you can d- download like a PDF of this and it's huge. Um, and I would love to have like nice big framed copy of that. Cause it's really cool. It's neat. But then I also feel like maybe I should just wait a little longer. Um, I don't want to have the second to last version of it, but. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Bryce sent that over. He sent over some great stuff. And I, I'm feeling like yeah, when we do cool. our, we can do our Perfect Strangers part three some point in the future and cover the unreleased songs and the, um, and the, uh, uh, all of this stuff, uh, some of the other stuff that Jeff Bryce sent. And mm-hmm. there's so much other stuff to cover from this, never mind the tour. Um, and then uh, somebody on deeppurple.net, they they kind of compiled a uh, a list of of some of the disparaging things that had been said about this album and the band getting back together. Um, the record mirror called them leaden granddads. <laughs> Thirty eight years old, you're a granddad. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> My God, granddad, I'm far older than that and i'm not close to being a granddad record mirror says uh the one i said earlier some things never change and this is one of them melody maker called the bland and sluggish uh the bury times said dated plotting heavy metal music week said old gits (laughs) what uh um, yeah, so those are just some of them, but I'll put a link to that in the sh- show notes as well. Just kind of funny, like all the, these people taking all of these pot shots. It's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so stupid. Um, all right, and there you go. There's all there's reviews, and uh, before we close it out, of course, we want to uh, take some time to thank our foundation level patrons, our one dollar made up name tier that consists, of course. Of Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Nasty Leaky Mausoleum, Michael Vader, Stephen Somerville, The Concerto 1999 Fanatic, Raf Calf, and of course, Spike the Rock Cat. Thank you to all of you for your 
continued support of the show. Raf Calf got his. Uh, did you hear Raf Calf's uh, yard of questions on the last Pot of Thunder? I did not. Yeah, on the last episode, whatever, Yet. whatever that was. Um, yeah, they 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 picked uh, they picked his yard of questions, which was great. Nice. Yeah. So really cool to hear a, a patron Love represented on another uh, podcast. Very cool. Um, and some of our patrons are patrons also on the URI Heat podcast, which is another uh, always good to hear those names shouted out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So there you go, guys. Perfect strangers in the can. Two parter. Third part coming. Eh, who knows when we cover all the rest of that stuff. But in a, um, year. a year. Yeah. <laughs> episode 300 um yeah but it's been a blast I've, I've really dug digging into this i'm surprised by our ratings um but it's it's mm-hmm. been really fun revisiting this one and kind of like i said this is this is one of the albums one of the first albums i really got into with deep purple and then it it didn't really carry on much beyond that like in recent years i haven't listened to it as much and i'm really glad to dive into it again and see what i really liked about it uh 30 years ago as I still do. So thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. I don't want to welcome Matt, I said, but it's just like, but I hate people and I wish that they didn't say welcome on them.